0: game begin
1: hello and welcome to episode four of the spike colony podcast i am the executive producer of Spy colony lanny huang and i'm here with the notorious mjf michael j flores
0: maybe the second most notorious mjf now the uh AEW world champion is also MJF. He, like, stole my shtick. I think he stole my birthday also. It's just ridiculous.
1: You're telling me that there's another MJF with the same birthday.
0: I'm pretty sure he also stole my birthday. And, like, people are, like, making a big deal out of it. He, like, plays, like, this heelish character who's just, like... He's, like, really just, like, a, a very, like, exaggerated, you know, sort of entitled version of me. It's just not... Like an entitled version, yes, like an entitled version of me. Yeah, like,
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> do you, do you, you know, do you think that you're ever a heel in Magic the Gathering pre-modern
0: competition? In specifically pre-modern, I think I am a heel for some. people. I think it's like you know, so you know, like the the concept of a heel comes from wrestling, right? So right. Um, I think I'm like Bret Hart. So, like, Bret Hart uh, was uh, this beloved, great technical wrestler for a long time as a character. Uh, they switched him to be a heel, like, in the late 90s. Um, but, like, in Canada, he was, like, always a huge face, even though he was a heel in the rest of the world. And so the worst thing that, you know, in the history of wrestling was the Montreal screw job where they screwed Bret in Canada. Um, but I think it's like that I think like it's a perspective thing I think that depending on if you think Michael J is an old school player because he's been around for a long time you think of him as a face but if you think of Michael J as a you know like an like an invasive species into your beloved spikeless format of pre-modern then Michael J is a heel I, I that's, mean, that's, I that's think, actually how i think it is in the, in the pre-modern community i would
1: I, I think i actually uh think that you're maybe overblowing the invasive species a- a- aspect because you're really kind of like you're in your own corner but the one the one way in which i think you are heel is that you are a man who makes a lot of hot takes um hot takes like thawing glaciers and hot takes like guys blessing stasis and i think there's a little bit Ties of Guys, blessing says this was just a
0: mistake. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, I never tested it. But, you know, you shout, you shout never, it out. I'm never going to stop bringing it up. But, um, I mean, and, I, and you know, I, and I, I ended
1: up playing,
0: I ended up playing Lance the next year.
1: Yeah. Um, i you know, I'm always rooting for you to win, but, um, you know, I know Same. how it feels. I, I also I, am. I, I, uh, you know, sometimes I go out there, I make a big statement, and, uh, you know maybe people disagree with me maybe they want to see that uh i'm proven to be wrong um you know one of my one of my hot takes is about a mana dorkless phyrexian rager equipped version of the rock and i think uh you know maybe other mj uh mjh mr michael j hoip uh he took to lobster Khan, a version that had uh, um that had three Yavamaya elder and Trimmed one wall of blossoms, uh, but I don't think Hoip is a, a is a man to root for anybody
0: to lose. But he's certainly a non-believer. In the he's a non he's a believer with a capital leave, uh, in terms of the Rock. Uh, you mean he's a non-believer in terms of like what we colloquially call Lanny Rock?
1: That's correct. I mean this is uh, this was a conversation that I had um, where. I I mean, I even think I walked by. I feel like I, like, walked by Hoip having a discussion about his deck with um, a third party. And, you know, he said something. Was it Robin? I don't know if it was Robin or someone else, but it would be appropriate if it was Robin. um, You know, friend of the podcast and noted other uh, lover of the rock. But you know he said you know he's talking about and Rager, and he's like yeah you know i don't know man he's like i don't even i don't even like wall of blossoms that much i trimmed one wall of blossoms and i i that just blew my mind because i've not a lot of cards in the rock are very gratifying to cast like the list is pernicious deed Cobalt therapy and wall of blossoms uh so i really can't imagine a world in which you trim one um but that's neither here nor there um
0: you know we're we're, do we're do you know how? Do you know how Landy Rock got discovered? I, I so I'm gonna, I'm yeah, gonna yeah. obnoxiously, you know, reveal this story. So this is how it got discovered. Um, I was just like gonna troll Saul Malka and the pre-modern community, because you know I'm a big naysayer of the rock, right, in general, and. It's so like what is what? what even is the rock, right? That's the thing I was asking. And I think Saul said something like, you know, it's a it's a deck with like Land of War Waste and Cabal Therapy and Wall of Blossoms, you know. That's like really kind of the those are the and pernicious deed, right? Those are the cards that glue it together. And um a certain former world champion had played an Alurin deck uh to a pre modern win uh that had all those cards in it, right? So uh, I was gonna make an Alluren deck and play it at a meetup. Uh, I was gonna play his his uh, his his uh, deck, and like I was looking for it probably on TC decks, right? And then I just ran into your list, and I'm like, "Yo, is this you?" <laughs> and what actually what I had actually done was I sent a link to the top eight to Pog, and I'm like, "Just proxy this for the meetup tonight," and I said, "Just make the Rock deck." But I didn't realize there was actually a rock deck in the top eight. I, I just thought <laughs> the winning a Lurin deck was going to signal to Pog what deck to make. And he actually made the rock deck, um, which was useless to me for my purposes at the time. <laughs> so <laughs> so I, anyway, I was just like, oh, man, this is dumb. So I had to go look for my own deck. And I just accidentally ran into what we colloquially call Lanny Rock. Um, and then, you know. yeah that's that's my favorite started to fall into place exactly that's my
1: favorite part of the story was the two-month lag between when i actually piloted the rock and had it published on tc decks it's it's probably much to my i I guess i don't know because my my main um way to socialize with other pre-modern players is via um discord and uh generally speaking you know, there's a very high cadence of results getting published from online tournaments um, run by the Magic Online Society. Uh, shout out. Um, and so, if something like really cool happens, like a really cool deck list, uh, it doesn't normally get a lot of heat uh, just because, again, the cadence of the deck list getting pu- published is very high and is really not too meaningful to succeed at, you know, spike one magic online society event uh just given how they're structured uh, you can have a lucky run through the swiss and you can have a lucky run through elimination although things are getting more challenging um people just don't have like a strong association with like success online versus like say success in the over 100 player monthly and of course success in live events that have over 32 players um but we all know that the true fire starter uh, for for any pre-modern topic is of course at five with Flores on twitter.com
0: Twitter. uh, you know've I've, I've been told by a, a number of sources that they get all their pre-modern content from my from my Twitter account so imagine that was your entire source of pre-modern content you would have a you would both have a very Slanted opinion of what the pre-modern format looked like, but also you would be exposed to a lot of beautiful deck picks. Those yeah. are those are the two things that would be true for you.
1: I mean, I, the deck picks definitely do it for me.
0: So, um, yeah. So, I mean, I don't know.
1: Why are we talking about the rock? It won Finnish Nationals, but it, it was not even the Lanny Rock. It was uh, classic so, rock, as they like to call it on the streets. It, you there played are, it.
0: Yeah, th- three things. I'd say. A, I came in second at the saturday tournament at LobsterCon, losing to david Tao um with lanny rock uh you know the day after uh, the north american pre-modern championships that as we all know you finished in third place which is the optimal position i think like there there's no better or worse position than than third place at the north american pre-modern championships like if you do better than that like probably there was something just morally wrong with you and if you do worse than that then you did worse than that right yeah, so third i, I think is, is really good yeah um rich then, a rich a and of
1: course friend of the podcast flint espel would uh, and, you know were envious of you back in 2022
0: yeah and i can i can only assume that both selden and etai wish they had lost the previous round so that they wouldn't have been stuck in first and second place but uh, you know so you were third I finished second in the in the day two tournament uh, and then a week later the rock like you said what we're calling I guess classic rock you know sort of the I don't know the Beatles and Stones of uh of rock of <laughs> black uh, green mid-range yeah the, it's like the black green mid-range like uh, you know I, I don't know at what point just you know like a 70 year old a uh, 70 year old Axl Rose is still filling stadiums you <laughs> know in 2023. Um, but yeah, so the Classic Rock uh won Finnish Nationals. But I would point out that the Finnish National Championship was a smaller tournament than the day two tournament uh, that I came in second place in. Yeah, uh, so then I would counterpoint
1: out that yeah. uh, you know, the the True Crushers did not come out to play
0: on Sunday with their true crusher decks. So So uh, I would say that the True Crushers came out to play on, on Saturday, but everybody everybody well, actually, not everybody, right? Fran played full bore, right? Spencer played full bore. Those guys both made top eight. They were not... Those were their day one decks, right? Yeah, that's true.
1: I mean, they, right, they were so, the ones who needed vengeance. But, of course, uh, Flint, uh, you know, satisfied with his top four, was very happy to play old school on day two, um, along with Rich Shea, you know, great, great fan of old school. Um, but that's neither here nor there. I mean, at the end of the day, a in-person... Uh, you know, fifty-plus player uh, pre-modern event. Uh, we don't have very many of those, and succeeding in one of them is, uh, you know, maybe not quite as good as finish thir- finishing third in the North American champs, but uh, still I quite would, the accomplishment.
0: I would just, you know, first of all, I would agree because third is the op- that is the optimal tournament. coming third in. Uh, but secondly, uh, I was saying like you know, coming in second at a slightly larger tournament is probably it's probably you know. Still not as prestigious as winning a national championship. I just wanted to point it out. That it was a larger tournament. So I think that there are three things I wanted to talk about in this episode of the Spike Colony. A, um, I will answer all of the questions that people have about Lanny Rock, uh, or at least playing it in one tournament. Uh, we've also done a lot of play testing with this deck, uh, even post-LobsterCon. I mean, just last night, right? So, yeah, it's in the are we're, we're, Yeah, we're testing Lanny Rock versus... Um, Versus Landstill. It's uh, just coming down as questions like what is better, the one Dust Bowl or the one Bolrath was Something that is worth debating. Um, there's there's that. And then, um, secondly, uh, Aro Hutunen, I, I probably butchered his name, Aro Hutunen playing classic rock. We can talk about his list uh, and his accomplishment. But the, really, the third thing that I just thought was hilarious is when the win rates for LobsterCon came out. (laughs) The Rock came in just under 45% on average on LC day one. (laughs) Come on, Lanny. You can't can't actually write it better than this. (laughs) Like, like when I say... 45% Forty-five percent deck, like it proved out to be a forty-five percent deck with like thirteen pilots in the biggest tournament that ever was. Like you can't get more statistics than that in in this in this environment.
1: Yeah, I mean I'll have to confirm my, uh, my facts, but the, the actual. Uh you know i think as a, a as a bumper to that it's worth noting that um i don't think there were any decks with more than 10 pilots any macro arch types of decks that had more than 10 pilots um that produced a greater than 50 percent win rate so you know naming all the hits land still goblins etc etc um et cetera, except for of course firexian dreadnought
0: yeah i was gonna say i 50s. assume dreadnought yeah. <laughs> crushed, crushed crushed that bar um, um and did you want to talk about Dreadnought afterwards? I've been playing a lot of Dreadnought recently, so yeah. Uh, I mean,
1: I think about. the one thing that I thought we should share with with the audience um, was was kind of this this thought that the preponderance of Lanny Rock goblins, elves, um, certain builds of Parfait, and of course, Landstill would uh, would effectively suppress the Dreadnought menace and. Somehow, that like we weren't even cl- like you know like we, we just we were just so wrong. We we all refused I, to play Dreadnought, <clears throat> and you know if I'm being honest, I just like handed Itai the Dreadnought deck, and I was like, here, have this deck. It's really good, but you know you're probably gonna get crushed by some some people who just bring a ton of hate, or they're just super prepared for the ma- matchup. I, I just I, I just handed Itai. I was like, this is the the deck to beat, and. Uh, you know, longtime readers of uh, the Michael J. Flores canon know that um, for some of us, the deck to beat is not the deck to play at a tournament.
0: Well, yeah, so the deck to beat and the deck to play are rarely the same deck. I think Macro Archetype 1212 for LobsterCon was clearly the best deck. Um, I don't think I got it wrong. I actually think that I got it right and my manifestation, well, Tom and I's manifestation just looks like it's super wrong but we could have been wrong the other way and been in better spot and like that probably sounds super circular but I'll explain why I never thought Landstool was the best deck I always thought I, you know repeatedly and you know you and Fran come after me because I was an advocate of mono blue dreadnought along with Tom for a while but I was like I think blue white dreadnought is the best deck in the abstract right the reason I didn't want to play it was for the reason that you said right which is that you know the preponderance of other decks, and I, and I was specifically assuming that I was going to come out winning, and then be in the winner's meta game, and then play against players like Brian Seldon, who are going to have good ability to suppress. Right. A blue-white. This, this is something that day. you
1: you mentioned yeah. on all things considered. You were just like, uh, you know, Lanny the other day had uh, this, that, and everything, and you know, people like Lanny are 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 some are not going to come to lose to Dreadnought. Um, of course I went ahead and
0: lost to Dreadnought in the semifinals. Um, so, yeah, so but the problem was A, I found myself in exactly the metagame that I that I wanted to be, starting in round one, right? So I played against literal Selden who won the tournament. I was like, that is the kind of person that I want to not lose to playing Dreadnought. But the problem that we had was that the way that Tom and I built our deck was that we were gonna lose to Selden anyway. Right? So like, our deck was just at a dis... I played against Landstill three or four times on day one, uh, and I ended up with an even record. I think I was like 1-1-1 one, one, and one or something along those lines um, against Landstill. And I played against main deck uh, Teferi's response more than once. Um, and so the problem is, like, I was playing on the back foot. I think I only beat uh, Landstill one time in, in game one. So even though I you know, was able to recover in sideboarded games. Games take a long time. Um, I had at least one draw. I might have had two draws from land still matchups. Because um, I ended up, like, 4-2-2. Two, and two. I had, like, I, I wasn't going to make top 8 because I had gotten a stasis loss, you know, a few rounds in after Seldom, after But I also picked up two draws. Um, and the it was it was because I, I was behind. And even though I could recover, like, I I would lock my opponent in game 2 and they wouldn't concede, and then I might run out of time, you know, for game three, which is what happened to me um, in landstill matchups. But the way that we played it, we were at a disadvantage. Our landstill deck was like, it was like equivalently behind against Selden. We were just behind in game one, right? So we were like, we were behind in game one, and then we were just playing catch up to get to even, which is you're basically still behind, versus being way behind in sideboarded games, like 12-12 is. And our exchange for that was that we lost all of the free wins that twelve twelve gets in game one. And so the so do you see what I'm saying? Like we were actually right, but we were right in a way that looks extra wrong. Um uh but and but I think like if the lesson is was Blue White Twelve Twelve the best deck in the abstract? I always thought it was. Should we have all played it? Yeah, probably. Right? Yeah, like, I mean this is this is like the trickiest thing. I, I had hmm. um a
1: friend posts a poll on Twitter and he basically said um, it's after the tournament and you find out that you played um, the most popular deck at the tournament with, you know, whatever, 15% play rate or something like that. You know, do you count that as a success or a failure in deck selection? And I think the boomer interpretation is like, uh, that's absolutely a failure, right? You shouldn't be- bring the most common deck in the room because Uh-oh. the most common deck in the room has like a target on its back, and you know
0: it it depends mathematically so if just if you think about formats that are in balance just imagine for a second a format is in balance right like there's actual equilibrium right that that is going on and you have a rock paper scissors format I'm just just this is the easiest way to explain this right that you have three decks that are 33% against one another if you play the most common deck you are at a mathematical disadvantage so it's not just a boomer thing if the format is in equilibrium playing the most common deck is actually bad uh, mathematically, however, if the twelve-sulfur is actually mathematically the best deck, if it's the best deck by a particular by a big enough margin, then it is right to play.
1: Right, of course,
0: and I and I I mean I think that's like the
1: that's the the Zoomer thing, which is just like you know, look, uh, in these new formats, Modern Pioneer Standard, you know, uh, people are going to find the best deck and they're going to play it and you should play the best deck and you should just be outplaying your opponents with the best deck like don't uh, don't get I out think... there and like think that you've got an angle because you know these these new formats they're like unexploitable and it's just like very unlikely that you know something so, that your opponents don't
0: yeah i mean like i i i mean not to get too political or whatever but i think that if you want to talk about zoomer formats versus boomer formats there's so much more skill in pre-modern and there's so much more there's so much more interplay and time in pre-modern. And like there's so much less skill in contemporary magic. Which is not to say the players are less skilled. The average player is probably much more skilled. The problem is that the deck the decks and the formats are so less skilled because they're dramatically more play draw dependent and there's so much there's so much win rate that's invested in early game permanence. Or just yeah. think about how. No, no. Like, I mean, don't get me wrong. It has nothing to agree. do with how good you are. Yeah, right?
1: but like, but I think I think the point is, you know, even even despite that, right? Like despite all of that and, and like the variants involved, you still want to give yourself the the sort of heaviest die. Like you want to give yourself. The deck that wins 60 percent of the time and even though like you know it's going to be a coin flip like you're going to have a little bit less agency over your win rate um you know because of play draw like ultimately you're only setting yourself behind right I, i i think it's largely considered in contemporary magic to be a mistake um to brew a deck unless your brew like you know or your team like you know really really does have something um, but for the vast, vast majority of players uh, who don't have, you know, either like a Sam Black level of like, you know, um, uh, uh, audience with the muse and the muse t- tells tells them exactly where to go, um, and often the muse leads leads you astray. But uh, you also sometimes find find the secret weapon uh, unless you kind of have that uh you know don't think that you have the same access to the muse uh and and uh you know just 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 play the straight line play the 60 percent deck uh you know play tight play the best you can and and win and i think i think we look I, i feel like i'm accurate in saying that our squad is just not that kind of player like not the kind of magic player to just be like well there's this deck it's super good um you know, it wins sixty percent of the time. Uh, it wins more than that in our hands, um, but it's a known quantity, and we're just you know we're just gonna play it because you know it doesn't feel like we're being
0: smart. Like I, I think, think I I agree, but I think that there's an underlying reason that I'm agreeing with you that you're not implying, and so maybe I can talk about that because I'm agreeing with you, but I I think that there's like a one A right, not a two, what one A 1A to that, so. You said a sentence to me that I'm not going to repeat like about four months ago, five months ago, and it changed how I thought about pre-modern forever, right? And so um, you and I, you and I, you, Lanny Huang, me, Mike Flores, play so much. I just assumed everyone had caught up to us. Like the people who were at a certain level of seriousness, which means the people who I would want to be playing in the second half of the tournament, right? You know, the second half of the Swiss had caught up to us. uh, And this just simply wasn't true. Right, so if everybody, if everybody, then you don't have to play parfait, right? You don't, to, you don't have to literally be playing parfait in order to have figured out the things that Lanny Huang had figured out. But you know, I just, I just didn't think that like so deep in the tournament, Itai was going to keep getting cakewalk matchups. Well.
1: Yeah, I mean, to a certain extent. It was sort of like, it was sort of goes in both directions, right? Um, because uh, listeners of episode one of Spike Colony podcast know that Itai was matched up against a fair bit of Flooded Strand decks, which aren't the easiest decks to defeat, yeah, but they, right? They're they, not like, burn. they
0: weren't equipped. Like, a Flooded Strand deck in the abstract isn't unbeatable, right? right a Flooded of Strand deck that has, like, Four seal, four abeyance, four sword supply shares, four meddling mage—just awfully tough to beat with four threats. Right, right. I mean, right, I, like- I abso-
1: obviously, obviously, I agree with that. Um, but yeah, and, and also <laughs> a quick aside: like my pick of parfait actually had more to do with a sort of Carsten-based uh, uh, analysis that if you want to succeed, if you want to spike a tournament, if you want to win, uh, you're actually better off choosing a deck with very polarized matchups. So I wanted to landslide my opponent but that's the thing Knot also has really polarized matchup it's like Knot is just but as what's good its into bad art. matchups uh, I mean I think statistically
0: speaking effectively just landstill. still effectively just Brian Selden yeah I mean no I mean, I mean Lance uh, still had an incredibly middling win rate overall. That's
1: that's correct, but uh uh Seldon went ahead and went and checked the head to head on on yeah. Landstill versus uh uh Dreadnought. and as as far as macro archetype is concerned, uh he had I believe Landstill winning 10 out of 11 matchups uh between so, Landstill macro and 12 top macro. That said, I mean I believe that Itai and Fran were like the only ones playing
0: you know, very very tight lists. So I mean, I would. I, I mean, so this might get into. I wanted to talk about the Rock for the first. Time. I did. I did, and then the, <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> I. But like, I, we can we can get to this. But I've been playing mostly blue red, and I think if if I were going to rerun LobsterCon, um, I probably wouldn't have played Still again. No. It, if, imagine I was to Here's an interesting fork. Okay, you're me for a second. So you know, in the first round, you're going to play against Brian Selden. A, are you going What changes are you gonna make? You're not gonna play the same landstill deck that you played, right? If you know you're playing Seldon in the first round, do you still play landstill? You're not gonna play the same landstill deck if you are. But what would you play into, right? Because like, if you know you're gonna play Seldon in the first round, it might be worse to play 12-12, right? <laughs> you know. But like, all right, maybe I'm gonna play Seldon in the first round. Do I play a deck that can beat landstill, but then I have like an inferior deck for the next seven rounds, right? Just happened to play Seldon in the first round. Like I could play Hurst Red and beat Seldon, you know. Like that's, but now I'm on Hurst Red. Yeah, I mean, I it's, obviously, so it's I'm i surprised it's weird weird you're not saying Rifter. Yet,
1: right? I feel like I feel like you would just play Rifter. No, Rifter's
0: not good. It's so the problem is Rifter. So the best matchup historically for Rifter is Blue White Standstill. But um, but David Daniel and Seldon played Phyrexian Furnace in their main deck. They yeah. have, like, three Furnace in their main deck. How do you, you... You can't Dragon them. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right about that. I so, mean. like, that's a terrible... like. So, the problem is, I think Rifter is still ahead, but Rifter used to be ahead, like, 95-5, right? Like, Landstool could almost never win. Like, it was... it was. I mean, like, when people are like, oh, that's an exaggeration, I'm like, just play the matchup, right? Like, it's really bad for Landstool. And, like, you can't even really conceptualize a way for them to win, because they've got, like basically have three three Decree of Justice to win. Rifter has four Decree of Justice and more mana. Just start there, right?
1: Yeah, um, but once
0: you have no Eternal Dragon, you don't have more mana, yeah. and then... Then if that changes, right? But... But, um, but like, historically, it's, like, 95-5. And there's a lot of matchups in pre-modern that are probably worse than 95-5. Like, Life versus Allurin. I just, like, Life probably never wins that matchup, right? Like, right. Allurin wins, like, 99.8% of the time or something. Um, so, uh, or, like, I don't know, Rifter against Braids or something. Braids probably wins, like, 97% of the time. Yeah. The, um, the Braids deck, of course. The one that we're like all familiar to- with, totally existing. Uh, I, that's freaking gas I, I think I'm gonna play I'm gonna, I need to make something that's different that's gonna make you happy because you you need to play some gas that makes you happy but th- uh, that's yeah. a different story yeah
1: no we should actually I wanna I wanna share it so the backstory that uh, Mike is alluding to is effectively I, I've I have I was so high on my performance at LobsterCon that I've never cu- seen you happier the, con- the come down has just been brutal cause now I just like I don't, I don't know what I'm doing I'm like playing these decks they're not really like they suck they suck I'm not feeling anything I'm not winning nobody's having a
0: good time
1: yeah I'm just like uh, I mean you know stuff in my personal you know hard weeks at work whatever they're adding fuel to the fire but yeah it's been crazy it's been like uh, you know it's been a serious slump for me I'm kind of on tilt Um, you know I lost some matches that I felt like I could have won and I've just like lost matches because my like deck has been bad Uh, but these are just matches at a meetup like they're just fun I know. I know. That's the worst part. I think I feel like I feel like that's the thing that's been getting me the most, which is just that like I like meetup, I don't care if I win or lose. So like what's happening? Like why right, am so, I why am so, I like feeling it?
0: Think but about like, it last night, right? Like all of us came to buy frost just to help Jeff train for Misty, right? That was the objective. Yeah. Last minute meetup, everybody came to help Jeff. By the way, he got a lot of great tips for his deck for Misty. So uh, yeah. um, no, yeah, no, I don't was... want to tip Okay, so really, yeah. really substantial improvements to his deck came out of this playtest session, and then we went and got the spicy curry, and it was fantastic.
1: No, I and mean, so and like, look, that who was cares perfect if
0: your from, domain deck doesn't win.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, that was perfectly fine because that was a good time for me because I love playing the gauntlet for for people because then then if they win, I get to claim all, all the credit for helping them win. Um, but yeah, so, you know, maybe maybe I'm just I just care a little bit too much about uh, results, and I need to I need to relax. I need to get back into like brewing goofy stuff and just like kind of following the muse and and uh you know whatever but uh I mean, you know speaking of losing and being on tilts uh you know that's why uh, I have such a hard time playing the rock these days All
0: right so let me talk about the rock deck I played right and then let's talk about uh, RO Huttenen's deck a little bit and then I want to talk about the playtesting that I've done with pog um between Lancelot and the rock which is really interesting to me Uh, absolutely is that okay yeah all right no
1: i love i think talking about Landstill and the rock is i'm I'm excited to get to it because just
0: like what an all-time matchup all right so this is the deck that i played this was a version of lanny rock that was given to me by um by fran so uh it was like morning of the day two tournament and i'm like oh i brought i brought flint red i brought fluctuator but i kind of didn't want to play fluctuator because flint had done well right if flint had done badly then i would have i would have been like i'll play fluctuator right so fran and you were like dude mike you love the rock just just play the rock and i'm like well i didn't bring it and then fran was like i got you brother so i played this um it's very similar just a Landy rock deck with uh with the more recent lanny additions people might not know about um, four Cabal Therapy for Duress two Vendetta a Diabolic Edict two Smother one Naturalize we had as many as three Naturalize in the other build right? Uh, we had two main deck and it was
1: like a recent change for me to
0: just like be like you know let Pernicious Deed do the job and Trim on Naturalize yeah so four Wall of Blossoms two Call of the Herd that card's been fantastic you were right about that uh, maybe we should have more uh, three Phyrexian Rager one Recurring Nightmare uh, four pernicious deed four ravenous baloth two deranged hermit the crozen tusker did you always have the crozen tusker yep. like from the first build yep tusky was okay. there so uh two baron moor tranquil thicket five forest four land of war wastes uh eight eight swamp um four treetop village and importantly one dust bowl that's the main deck right so um and then sideboard Tranquil Domain, three naturalized, so that brings us to four after sideboarding, two Haunting Echoes, a Diabolic Edict, four Engineered Plague, which is the right number, and four Tempting Worms. I got more questions about the Tempting Worms than anything else. I never brought them in there for red. I believe Tempting Worm was um, a Dave Kaplan innovation, so uh, it came from a, a Tau House uh, kind of mini tournament where. Uh, Dave was bringing him in in Hermit Knot uh, against Red Deck. Uh, he brought him in against me and destroyed me. My hand was all, like, all Lava Dart. I thought I was a genius because I was going to kill Hermit, right? And uh, he just Tempting Wormed the Bejesus out of my Red Deck. And I'm like, we should just try this in a bunch of other green decks. So that was the deck I played. Um, first round I played against D-Tau. He destroyed me. He also destroyed me in the finals. Uh, we should talk about my sideboard strategy, though, because I think you were... You were not super enthused about my sideboard strategies against either Spencer or David, yeah. Uh, but I think I, I think I was right in both no, cases. And no, I, yeah. I'm I happy mean, to defend my wife.
1: Yeah, no. So um, basically, what happened was uh, Michael J. Flores facing down uh, two different survival engine decks, survival elves, and of course Hermit Fab, uh, elected to board out all eight copies of his discard spells, um,
0: effectively in favor for uh, some other no, stuff no. going on. Against Spencer, I di- I cited out all my displays. Right, right, and then against, against uh, David, David, you I cited out all my threats.
1: Yeah, you 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 cited out all your threats, but you also elected to not bring in not have plague, engineered plague. Which uh, for background. I mean, the hermit feb combo relies on the card volrath shapeshifter and uh,
0: phyrexian devourer both of which have the creature type phyrexian so So operatively i will point out that david won game three with seal of cleansing in play right of course but he won so So, uh, i don't know yeah but he (laughs) won it with with that card in play right Right. which (laughs) means that an engineered plague inside of the first three turns would have been irrelevant to my game winning Right? Yeah, so, effectively. That's how far uh, so, ahead he was. But uh, no, I just I knew how both of us were going to sideboard. So one of the reasons I did not have plague was I knew he was going to side out the hermit feb combo of the, the hermit combo, right, in favor of only the in favor of only the um, the survival combo, and that he was going to side in like the intuition sort of oromancer package to uh, create redundancy around survival of the fittest, and that so. My thought process around that was um, I'm going to focus all of my efforts on destroying survival of the fittest and make him have it and make him get it back, right? Which is going to buy time. And the one thing that I really realized is I won game two was like how completely ineffectual my threats are, right? So like in game one, I literally got him to nothing, dr- discarded him down to zero cards, uh, no creatures in play, and had like, what did I have, Lanny? Like elephant and baloth or whatever and you just like top decks hermit and kills me right so like there's just no clock that the rock can possibly put on that's fast enough to justify playing with the offensive creatures that's that's the they're just not fast enough like you you can get your opponent to nothing and they have five to seven turns if they don't have something that that's horrible right like can you say that in a sentence you get them to nothing literally nothing and they have 5 to 7 turns.
1: Yeah, I mean this I, this, this is how the the rock functions, right? You, yeah. you get your, your you get your opponent empty handed and then you're in the top deck war. And I think notably in game 2. But to nothing. I mean like did, destroy
0: you, their destroy yeah. their survival, destroy their hand, destroy all their creatures. Yeah. If they have 5 to 7 turns, they're just going to combo kill you still. You're going to wait until yeah. they can do it in one turn. I mean,
1: I I I agree. I think that the rock like typically, just isn't that good against survival decks because you know you can't you can't interact with the top of their deck, and if they have any amount of redundancy, you know they can get things going again. Um, and you know Hermit, Hermit Feb has a lot of different plans um, and has the ability to grind. Um, and I, yeah, I mean I, I totally agree with you. It's tricky. This is this is the thing that I always struggled with with designing the rock. The reason why Call the Herd even ended up in the deck was because in the miracle uh, maiden voyage of Lanny Rock I timed out two opponents uh, because <laughs> I put them I put them on zero and I was on zero and we just we just like traded cards uh, until their their uh, magic online clock ran out you know those could have been draws uh, in paper magic uh, and so I was just like I need I need something a little bit um, heavier than fire Rager. I need call the herd and um, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's interesting because game two of the finals against David you played uh, You you were attacking with treetop village like This was I mean this I I have such a hard time trying to explain the rock to people because Everything that I say kind of sounds like smart and insightful and then like I watch like you or or I myself play the deck and I'm just like, you know This is like I I can't explain this deck like it does it doesn't work the way that you think it does like you you just can't explain it because like uh, okay so I was like okay I wrote a huge article I was like it's 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 an ode to the rock it's an ode to Michael J Flores it's an ode to like flexible flexible gameplay uh boomer intuition and I was like you know the the rock you know I was like oh this is the deal Michael J Flores he loves the rock he loves making all these decisions he loves playing this grindy deck and then I watched you run through. Um, the run through the lobster con side event with nothing but dumb luck. Like you just drew runner, runner, runner so, in like three straight matches. And I was like, okay, well maybe the rock is about feeling really good when you top deck your third pernicious. Well, no. I mean,
0: when I beat Spencer, I think I was advantaged to beat Spencer. I, I, I think I probably should have won game two. like so the way that Spencer played. I got, I had more time than I probably should have had, but like, I think that the way I sideboarded, which was to side out all of my cabal therapies and duresses, was right. Like, Spencer's range on what cards he's willing to have in his deck were so high, I didn't want to have the card Cabal Therapy in my deck at all. Because, like, Cabal Therapy is really bad. Like, and so is Duress. Like, if you have them in your opening hand and you destroy, or you just get rid of um, Survival of the Fittest, that feels good, right? But it's like, it's not really that good um because i you'll note that he had survival of the fittest in none of the games right so between four naturalize the tranquil domain and uh for pernicious deeds i was able to keep the survivals off the table even if he had them right so my my strategy was okay i'm going to destroy his survivals instead of making him discard his survivals but i'm going to emphasize killing every single creature right and um Elves is a lot easier to suppress from a creature standpoint than a Hermit is because like, while Elves has like this really explosive capability to uh, to kill you like on turn three or whatever, they need a critical mass of Elves in order to do so. Um, Look, like, they need to have like a priest, they need to have untapping capability, they need to be able to pour a ton of mana into Kamal or Gaia's Cradle, right? Like they need to have a tonnage of stuff. So if you're just destroying their creatures, then like you can destroy a ton of creatures and get them on like a medium clock. You can reliably kill them as long as you kill them fast enough, right? If you give them too much time or if you let if they let them have survival, you're going to lose, right? But if you focus on destroying survival uh, and killing them with creatures and killing all of their creatures, then that's fast enough you actually make your game plan worse by drawing duress and cabal therapy in the mid game because there's no cards you would ever want them to have to discard if they don't have survival in play. Right, like it's just bad.
1: Yeah, yeah like, I mean, I, I I agree. I think my main thought was just that like survival and tangle wire both being non-creature spells yeah, just, and like super relevant. And then post board they go up to four and naturalize to try to fight your pernicious deed. Uh, being yeah, able but, to draw, but you th- just play your pernicious not de- deed. Sorry, not, sorry, not deed. My bad. Uh, uh, engineer plague, right? Yeah, so but if you, you, you and- get two or three
0: cards with the plague. They they naturalize it fine. They no, 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 no.
1: Don't, don't don't get me wrong. I'm totally. I think. I, this is this is just like this is just like the bread and butter of why I think it's so interesting um, that us as uh, friends and as players who play together, uh, how we just navigate completely differently. Because I think what you're what you're saying is super valid, and it proved itself. Right, you won you won the match, and that was what matters. Um, it's just so interesting to me that we would you know that we'd have forked so hard on our approach to the matchup. And I mean, so did you? Did my, you? Like, my view
0: is informed by Ole, right? Ole's position is nothing matters in this matchup. Right? Like, if even if they have pernicious deed, if you have sufficient time, then you beat them with a the druid lyris and kill them in one turn, regardless of what they had, right? That's Ole's position. So I'm assuming that I'm so I'm trying to take a game plan that could beat Ole. Right? That's the that's the thing. So if my game plan can beat Ole, then I can beat all elves players who are inferior to Ole. That's which is all elves players. Right. That's um <laughs> That's my game plan. And I just, I think that anybody else's game plan is irrelevant because Ole's Ole's game plan is the best. So you probably have a different paradigm you're working from.
1: Uh, I mean, my paradigm is almost completely theoretical. For all the matches I've played with The Rock, um, I don't know how many times I've really tested against Elves. Um, because uh, I'm the gauntlet seat, and I play both the rock and the elves against uh, my teammates' against wacky other uh, decks. You know, yeah, their decks, which is neither rock nor elves.
0: The terrible um, freaking eternal dragon blue white control deck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so, so uh, I think that the that both the elves matchup and the hermit Feb matchup are about closing speed. But that the but the method of closing is different in those matchups. You take because like the elves deck requires to have a tonnage of, of permanents in play in order to in order to beat you. So if you can disrupt the number of permanents that they have in play with uh, engineered plague, pernicious deed, and spot removal, you're actually fast enough to kill them with like random three threes and you know nine nines if you if you can if you can manage that. But the hermit feb can beat you with a single card right so if you give them an unchecked one if they just wait and like you know they have an unchecked survival if it is for one turn you're dead right like that is very different
1: yeah than, absolutely
0: um, yeah and than, and i think uh,
1: that was super interesting because with hermit Feb you went, the entire like your entire approach
0: is based on haunting echoes more or less yeah so my thought process is like i can disrupt them any amount and if i get like if i get survival into the graveyard and haunting echoes then i'm just going to win anyway right so um uh, that's not true of elves, right? Like I didn't know Spencer's exact list, but I mean I've played elves in big tournaments, right? Like they can destroy your survival and just beat them with two deranged hermits or something. Or just like deranged hermit tangle wire. Like haunting echos is not particularly good there. Yeah. Or a single uh, deranged hermit and a or like beast. Biorhythm. There's a lot of so suggest- massive. he beat me up with a masticore, right? So there's a lot of there's a lot of ways you can get around Haunting Echoes in the Elves deck, but like if you can catch the survival of the fittest in the in the Hermit matchup, it's tough for them. I I'm, I'm sure they have they have some play pattern that they can try to go for but it's probably extremely, you know, narrow hole of a needle that they'd be threading right. to get there. This was a lesson that Robin Lund taught you at LobsterCon 22. I did yeah, so uh, you know, I had never played against Hermit before. He, it, admittedly he was playing um not Hermit, Feb, he was just playing Feb, right? Uh but I was just like I'm just going to destroy your survival of the fittest and then I think my deck is faster and that bore out. yeah um, so uh, I was trying to do that against David. Uh, so I joked a lot about the dealer having me. And I think that as much as I'm, I would just love to joke about this forever. But I think that you are a little bit more pejorative towards me than maybe I deserve. I don't <laughs> think I really casinoed through the entire thing. I mean, thing.
1: Jared Newset
0: played back-to-back
1: ringleader for four cards. He did, and uh, and I <laughs> and I, I got him. I have a lot of respect for you as a player. You should know this, but I do believe, and you know, maybe maybe, maybe that's how you won. You won through sheer skill. Like it's it's it's, and it. I, 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 I mean, sometimes you were drawing the right cards. I, I I think, but that's just the rock. I mean, the the so point is, you're drawing it is range, just the rock. Right? You're the more so, draw steps that you that you have.
0: Uh, I mean, this is just the reduke school of conservative no, play. The more draw steps that you my give rate. yourself... First of all, I played super not conservative against Jared, right? I played hyper-aggro against Jared, right? If you're thinking about, like, clearly I'm the control and he's the beatdown in that matchup. I was... My guys were tapped every turn.
1: Yeah. No, you were getting right? in like, there. I-, I noticed that, too, is that you... You, I mean, this is this is just this is just rock run one, right? It's like you got to know Goblins when you can
0: fifty you from with haste, right? You have right? to so choose you have when to, to close race. the game. Yeah, I, I mean, mean it's always. Is, it's, like, yeah, yeah. I lost, I lost game one with like I, he was dead on board, and I had I had to sacrifice three ravenous baloths before his attack step.
1: Yeah, yeah, and right? that's and when I still that's lost. when Ger- yeah, I mean, that's yeah. when, I mean, this is this is just like uh, I, I mean, I think what you what you're doing in these matchups is just very astute, which is just an, like understanding. Mm-hmm. What your opponent is doing and paying attention to your opponent is what your opponent is doing because like ultimately the rock is one of those decks where you like look at your hand there's only one spell most turns that you can cast so, most of the time you can cast these spells at, at, at sorcery so, speed so
0: I I, I I wanted to i wanted to respond to one thing that you said and then i want to go back to the point that i originally wanted to make right you said it's about like you know you're drawing within a range if you look at how i sideboarded in particular against Spencer and David who were differently focused decks and against Jared actually for that matter. I controlled the range of what I could top deck by taking cards out that were of categories that I did not want to draw. Yeah, right. I mean so that's I willfully like I I will give up never being able to make Spencer discard a survival of the fittest on on the first turn in exchange for never losing in the mid game. That's yeah. that was the that was the bargain that I would that I made with the dealer, right? So like I will exchange not being able to put David on what most people would consider a reasonable clock, in exchange for maximizing my ability to disrupt his combo. Yeah, I think like you. I think
1: it sounds like you gave
0: up some aces so that you could have more tens. I mean, but, but yeah, but if I'm playing a deck with like you know, 50 tens or whatever, and then like I, I, you know, but a pair of tens still doesn't beat David's stack. <laughs> 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 you need a lot of tens. <laughs> Because his deck has a card that lets him assemble royal flush.
1: Yeah, <laughs> so he's just
0: like, oh, I've got royal flush again,
1: <laughs> um, or or, or so. blackjack rather, but uh, whatever. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, I, know. Um, I think. Yeah, I mean uh, this is I mean this is just this is great for me cuz honestly uh I do I do give you give you infinite hard time uh for you know, so, uh, for th- everything but but yeah no this is this is very astute. I mean I think um that whole I mean I'm, my eyes are open. Like um I'm I'm boarding out my discard against Elf, so I'm on the train.
0: Here's my here's my thought process around. So I Okay, I mean look anybody who's followed me like watched me play a feature match for example like ever right i play in a different way than other people play at the table right that's, that's my that's my table character right like you talk about like what do you do in the casino how do you, how do you how do you perform like i i just perform for my opponent right and that depending on the match i perform in a different way um, but i was performing a certain way on saturday and i was you know i was praying to the almighty dealer a lot but here's the thing about The Rock. The Rock is a deck that has relatively little like drawing cards type cardboard advantage, right? Like it's card advantage is more like it's got, it I j- have, just like,
1: has Crows and Tusker. And then the
0: rest is yeah, uh, like, no, I mean, Blossom's it's pernicious deed. And, Or like, you know, you get like you get these minor sort of card advantage effects from, you know, uh, call the herds you get like an extra elephant token or like you play a scathe zombies that allows you to pay a a life to draw another scathe zombies you know like some other just garbagey card because the rock doesn't have like a lot of really these ace type cards so what ends up happening is you have a minor amount of cardboard advantage and oftentimes like sometimes you like bowl somebody over with cabal therapy but it required you to miss with cabal therapy first right like that's a thing that happens quite often um so you have a minor amount of cardboard advantage, and oftentimes it's actually less cardboard advantage than your opponent is getting naturally. So like if your opponent just plays with cards like standstill, factor fiction, you know um gush. anything, gush right they have so much more card cardboard advantage than you right so but so what end, what ends up happening is that the rocks operative way to contend with opponents is by trading cardboard for cardboard right yeah. so taking out trade, the stuff that matters. So, they trade like a duress for a counterspell, right? Like, and that counterspell is going to trade with something anyway, right? So, what ends up happening is that you just don't have any cards in hand a lot of the time. And so, if you don't have a lot of cards in hand, then you have to ask the dealer for the. <laughs> you don't have any other choice, right? So, you're just like, oh, he was just casinoing. I'm like, but that's just how the deck works. Right, if I'm sitting here with, like, five cards in hand, either my opponent is mana-screwed so I didn't have targets for my interaction, right? Or I'm mana-screwed and I couldn't deploy the cards. Like, that's basically, you know... That's the only way The Rock has a bunch of cards in hand. Is it, you don't have these, like... Like, when I was beating Pog in testing last night, right? Like, I had zero cards in hand, but I had eight lands in play, and he had to answer deranged term at every turn. Right? That was... That's my version of card advantage. Right? Like, so... Uh, and it's not even really card advantage. I'm just putting this card on top of my deck that gives me non-cardboard squirrel tokens. But until he can deal with my Volrath Stronghold, right? then he kind of has to deal with these stupid squirrel tokens. And he's foffing, he's Swordsing. We had that exchange where I smothered Diabolic Edict and Vendetted my own Deranged Tournament in one turn just to so it didn't get plowed. Because that was uh, my whole game plan, right? Yeah, that's... Um... Uh, that's that's a the next level play so uh, so like you're just playing with no cards in it so yes you are praying to the dealer a lot uh funny thing I noted when i I listed off the deck that Fran gave me was that there's this dust bowl in the deck um and it was like I think in the third round uh I think what did I play against i played I played against detail first round lost played against the solution second round one was t- It was tight. I would think the solution would be an easy matchup but he meddling mage my pernicious deed in like every game. Um, so it was actually much harder. And he has, you know, he also has um, Mother of Runes. So like Mother of Runes protecting that meddling mage was like pretty hard. Yep. Mom um, plus mage <laughs> is the is reason why solution's yeah, so, good. So yeah. It, it, he also has the other like lock elements of the solution. So I was actually kind of surprised that I won because like, I started off 0-1 in that match. Uh, and then I beat I beat fluctuator uh, and I just played two ravenous baloths like before he could kill me. I gave like, like moldify one of the games and I was just like baloth baloth. He's like I can't do enough damage to kill you anymore. <laughs> like, yeah. How sick is that. Start playing creatures, right? Um, uh, and then I played against Pog. Uh, and so I thought this was a really easy matchup for the rock. We can talk about this later. He was playing my land still deck from day 1. Uh, I beat him 2-0. Uh, because i basically beat him on landstill both times uh standstill rather sorry uh his standstill was advantageous for me in both games um based on based on how the games developed um and then i think it was like after round three when i was just like yo dude i still haven't drawn volrath stronghold and fran was like your deck doesn't have volrath stronghold (laughs) (laughs) i'm like what he's like mike I gave you the deck, you looked through it, you said it was okay, you registered the deck, you took a deck pick, and you didn't notice it in that ball. I mean, hey, the card's like forty bucks, so. Yeah, so then uh, it's a you know the in the in the round of eight I'm playing against David Daniel, and uh, it's it's game three, it's coming down to the wire. We played a fun game in the Swiss and then ID'd, he destroyed me, right? So I I got game one, I don't even remember how. Like it just I don't remember how. I won though that he destroyed me in game two game three David Daniel goes like dark ritual insidious dreams puts three cards on top of his library right and I'm like thinking about how I can possibly win this game from this from this position and the dealer gives me a dust bowl and David only has one red source in play <laughs> Yep, and he has now stacked the top three cards of his library so that dust bowl did some work and Fred's like bet you're pretty happy you had the dust bowl so,
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's uh, crazy when 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 like Fran explained that. I was just like, yeah, I've, I've never tapped a Valrath Stronghold in my life. I mean, I have, but I've I've never cared that much about it. Maybe Dustball's better. And then, of course, you kind of turned around and in testing yesterday against Landstill, Valrath Stronghold it out. But it's so hard to run both because you know then you're cutting back color, on the colored sources. Yeah. yeah, and then so it's the delicate. What if we balance. play
0: sixty-one cards?
1: Well. I'm, I, you know it can only it can only move you from between 44.5 and 45.5 percent so <laughs> do whatever you want tbh run 64 probably doesn't make a difference
0: so uh yeah i don't i actually don't know but like that voras stronghold was so good in testing last night um yeah so i, I mean, was actually really surprised because i i had tested the lance against Lanny rock matchup with david Tao a lot before um uh, we spent like I think we just did an entire night. That was the only matchup we played one night. And I really do I think play an unusual amount of, of free lottery. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I mean, uh, listen, like I, like I played four nights one week. I,
1: before, I think before, one. Uh, I think one thing that listeners to this podcast need to understand is that Mike does not actually hyperbole. He just believes everything he says. Like he's serious. He's he's absolutely he's dead serious. Everything he said, he's not exaggerating. Uh, you know, he might be wrong. But he's definitely not exaggerating. Uh, my man's plays a lot of pre-modern.
0: We played pre-modern two nights this week, and there was no meetup. Yeah, yeah, no, no, absolutely. Um, <laughs> <but> so, <laughs> uh, um, that's not counting. I'm sure you played online.
1: I did. I mean, I got a busy week at work, but I still, I still managed yeah, to so, lose uh, from from uh, on my rifter v elves matchup.
0: But yeah, yeah, so I played another couple hours of paper than you did this week, right? But then you played. You played online. Right? Yeah, so, I played I on mean, hard. I, I didn't I didn't go crazy this week. So, but anyway, um, that was my experience with Lanny Rock. I don't... Th- so I think that ultimately, this is what I'd say about the Rock. It is a fundamentally unsound deck. Uh, and maybe if I explain this to people in a different way, other than I just don't like it. Uh, because I, I do like it. Like, everybody knows I like it at this point. It is fundamentally unsound. The problem is... It has relatively few routes to card advantage, which means it can be outclassed by cards like Stanceville and Factor Fiction. And even if it gets its game plan, which is disruption plus a, a medium-sized guy, right? Like a 3-3 three, three, or 4-4 four, four guy, maybe two. It gives a combo deck a disgusting amount of time, right? Like, it just... That game one in the finals against David, I destroyed every permanent in play, put him to zero cards in hand and untapped with like a either a battle or an elephant in play and he just killed me the next turn right like and the thing is like you can't even complain that he was just going to be like, oh he was lucky right he was going to have seven car seven turns he's really just expect him to not draw anything for seven turns I, I can't mean, stockpile. Like, that's not yeah. how this deck works. It's not it's an yeah, yeah, instant. Right, of
1: course. The big difference, right, is if, if both of you draw cards and you draw a bunch of counter spells, then you can effectively trade your top decks with theirs. But there's nothing you can do uh, on the rock to kind of stop your opponent from top decking Replenish or Survival of the Fittest and just kind of ending your day. There's literally yeah, like, nothing you can do. All you, the would, time, you need, you're
0: like... Yeah, go ahead. You draw cabal therapy and miss right so like i drew a cabal therapy and i'm like man what should i what should i name and i know unearth is an important card to name but he has two unearths in his graveyard already yeah right so i'm just gonna blind unearth right yeah so he like cycles on earth. so he cycles on earth so i won't say on earth stockpiling his other unearth yeah it's right uh, so like <laughs> i mean which was a great play right uh, yeah, so yeah, his his
1: unearth his unearth was face up. Uh, actually, I think that turn his unearth he had. Yeah, but so actually, he cycled yeah, yeah, it yeah, to yeah, protect so the other two, one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was, it, I, he might have had both face up, um, but it was yeah, it was a super no. interesting. If spot. he had both face up, I would have named the other unearth. Right. I mean, it was it is an interesting spot. I mean, I think, yeah. I mean, I, I I obviously agree with you. Like, I I struggle with the deck, but um, I don't know. Uh, you're kind of getting me excited. I feel like you're getting our viewers excited because what, what the what it lacks in uh, sort of inevitability, right? Um, I think this is a fun nugget. I, I dug up Sol Malka's uh, sort of original uh, report on the Rock, uh, and he calls it a control deck. Uh, and I don't know. Did you guys not have the term mid range, or did you just not think the Rock was a mid range deck back when you? I did? don't
0: What What year was that? I mean, Sol had been playing decks named after wrestlers for as long as I've known him. Sure, but like, this so, this was the, about the so, Rock.
1: This is about this is literally his OG OG like deck tech on the Rock that was published on sub website.
0: I mean, are you sure it was his OG deck tech? He was playing decks that had similar vibe forever. So I wanted oh, I mean, to make a round uh,
1: tournament. Uh, well, uh, the, with my point a Sol Malka
0: is deck deck that my had point River is, Boa. Uh,
1: my point is that, that there was a Drain Tournament deck <coughs> during the der, I'm pretty sure it was Drain Charmet Phyrexian Plague Lord and I'm pretty sure the words the rock is fundamentally a control deck were, were in the in the tournament.
0: Report. Was it an Urza's Block tournament or a standard tournament? Oh well, yeah, well, why does a, it why is it important, I guess? Because he built so the Plague Lord version in my record he had a 4x Plague Lord version that was an Urza's Block. Format deck, right? So, if you're talking, if you're saying this deck is fundamentally a control deck, and you're saying that in extended, and you s- you have a deck and you say this deck is fundamentally a control deck, and you're saying that in block constructed, the context of the decks around you matters. Both of those statements would have been made after the article "Who's the Beatdown" had been written, all yeah, right? And enough. Saul was obviously aware of it, right? So, if you're if you're saying I'm a control deck just the general statement of in the abstract my deck is fundamentally a control deck the implication is the deck is just slower than the other decks around you right like that's that's just like the first thing you would think and, right, right? Is so, it, I right? mean did uh, do you do you
1: feel like prior to who's the Beatdown, uh, conceptually mid-range was not like a, a like a thing top of mind that you would like have this deck that was I'm, faster than faster than um, you know dirtily decks and slower than aggro decks
0: so I don't, you know, I don't want to say something that was grossly inaccurate, but I remember like, Trey Van Cleave was a high-performing player in um, this time frame, right? And I don't remember if he top-aided Pro Tour New York 99. I think he just, like, maybe he was just outside of the top eight. But he won Grand Prix Philadelphia in the next year with the three-deuce, and Trey had always described himself as liking aggressive decks that were not the fastest deck, right? And he would say, like, I like these decks, and they have, like, Wild Dog, or whatever, you know, like a 2-1 one for 1 or whatever, but then I can, I can your Guild Major guys, I can disenchant something, so I'm not the fastest, I'm not, like, Suicide Black, I'm not, like, Sly, right? Like, so, you would think of that as kind of a more mid-range deck, right? I don't think that there was a lot of rhetoric around that. If you think about pro tour one um and this is compressed time right like the, you're talking about 1996 versus 1990 who's the beat was written in march of 1999 uh pro tour one is in 1996 so It it's like less than three years distance at this point the aggressive deck at pro tour one was green white armageddon which in any other context would be considered a mid-range deck right like its threat is four mana it's like it's like it's a much slower TeraVor deck, right? If you want to think about it that way. It's like Sarah Angel, Autumn Willow, Deadly Insect. A Deadly Insect was an aggro card, if you think about it like that. Right? Like, And you were aggressively getting there with, um, with Armageddon. And sometimes you had Elves, sometimes you didn't. Sometimes you had, you know, Moss Diamond. Sometimes you didn't. Um, so, like... That was an aggro deck. In, right, in but this days, was, right? I mean, this was just before beatdown, right? So beatdown was coined by the dickheads in 97, right? Right, so, so, yeah, so it didn't Yeah, so there was, was no thing. concept of beatdown until 97, right? right? There had already been over a year of Pro Tours at that point. So when I say there was a concept of beatdown, but it hadn't been coined as, like, a broadly used term until, um, until the dickheads, and then the dickheads were friends with the dead guys, right? So... Dave Price had always been a beatdown player, but he just didn't have language for it yet, right? So, you know, the big joke was like, you know, Brian did a better job of it than I did. Like, Dave Price played a Bad Moon Necropotence deck at Pro Tour 1 with four Will-o'-the-Wisp. Hacker came onto the scene by leading the Swiss at Pro Tour Dallas, which was my first Pro Tour with Bad Moon Necro with two Ur-Graders. Uh, and he played Terror. I mean, like, I mean, Hacker was such a, such a maestro, uh, yeah. But, um, but like he, like he conceptualized this thing called beatdown. He conceptualized playing less. So I think I would say, like, if you want to crystallize 97 Hacker and what became beatdown in the parlance of players in 97 and 98, right? Which really, I called everything beatdown. Like, we called our mono blue decks beatdown because we just loved Hacker. So anything you wanted to be like, cause Hacker was so cool, right? <laughs> so it was the um, hair. It was pretty funny, right? Like, uh, I remember reading a tweet or something, and Patrick Sullivan was just like, when I was X age, all I wanted to do was hang out with Jamie Park and Brian Hacker, right? And I was just, as I like called Peace Sully, and I was just like, I actually ran into Jamie Park on the street on the way to archery last week, and I'm going out with Hacker tonight. Right, <laughs> like, yeah. what, what, just, a just, what a 16 year old, what a year old Patrick just, Sullivan think yeah, about that. Yeah, you know? flex on, on Peace Sully, it's just like, <laughs> I right oh, so heard,
1: heard you like these guys.
0: Yeah, so, um, so, uh, yeah, so, but like, just, everyone wanted to be Hacker, right? If magic was if magic had rock stars, hacker was a rock star, right? He had blue hair, and girls were chasing him across countries, right? Like, they, they would yell Azul, Azul, in, in the waiting line outside of a outside of a spectator event because his hair was blue, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so, yeah. So like we would play like a two four flyer, in. In mono blue control, so that we could have beat down elements, because because <laughs> Hacker wanted us to beat down, right? So, oh yeah, so beat down wasn't a thing, and so '97 was when people started talking about beat down. And if you think about like a Sukada Lancer, right? A three casting cost, two 2 haste, was a beat down creature that was like a high performing card in that era. Yeah, right. I mean, so, Ironclaw works. I mean, that's that's like the whole thing. I mean, I guess the, the reason I bring this up is just because
1: like uh we're now now we have sophisticated language and it's pre-modern and it's the rock and and rocky decks have existed throughout the ages in in every magic format right but like some sort of mid-range deck that doesn't have counter spells that oh yeah i we're we're running long uh uh now but i guess i really wanted to bring this up which is just that like in pre-modern that you are you're, you're saying like rock doesn't have access to card advantage uh, truly very few decks actually have access to card advantage because the main ways to produce card advantage are like you said gosh it goes in effectively one deck it goes in a few more but the, effectively one it good in deck so goes stasis right 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 a right. uh, good point it goes in stasis so it goes in stasis it goes in dreadnought you're talking about landstill factor fiction um basically only played in in or sorry standstill factor fiction only played in landstill um but no, uh, I and think then there's survival lots of well and then survival of the fittest and then of course tax rack right so
0: i think um, that there's not that many routes to card drawing which is right like right putting it, yeah. new cards into your hand but there's lots of routes to card advantage right so well so red, i want the red to, deck gets card advantage from grim lavamancer and Curse scroll and well, they also uh, they're playing they
1: they have philosophy of fire of course they also I mean, have philosophy of fire yeah.
0: units right so yeah. like that also they have they have a different outlook towards card advantage, but they also could just generate cardboard advantage by like pointing a cursed scroller or a grim lava mancer at your two two. Right. Yeah. That's the thing. I mean, that's right? that's definitely a thing. I mean I I think uh, you know
1: the, the way the red deck generates advantage is, is kind of its own its own topic. But the, the the thing that I wanted to bring up is just enter blocking with your creature and attacking with your creature. Uh you know, at the end of the day, one of the things that the rock does that effectively no other deck in the format does right now is have three threes and four fours It either we we all either have no creatures
0: or or one ones and two twos we, we have so some of us have one ones and twelve twelves yeah some have two twos and twelve twelves some yeah. only have twelve twelves yeah right and some of them and, and a bunch of one ones and two twos ones some of us have a shit ton of one ones
1: yeah <laughs> right? Like, right so a three three. Is is actually a form of card advantage. I mean, that that, that that's kind of called the herd, and and so, uh, enter enter Finnish nationals. Uh, what happens if we play a four four or a five five on turn three? Uh, you know, I think
0: I think I'll say this. What the reason? There was no video coverage of this, right? Because I, I have a hard time conceptualizing how conceptualizing how classic rock beat classic land still.
1: <laughs> I uh i mean blaster kind of good against landstill, right they can't do it they, how
0: they, if it resolves it, they have to block or take yeah, 15. But they infinite they have infinite first of all taking 15 is a non-issue the rock has to close you with creatures right but second of all like it is never like, I just I this justice. matchup you just decree
1: yeah fair and uh second place this, this version uh, doesn't have three. doesn't
0: have uh uh, a stronghold. If you have Volrath stronghold, it'll be a different story. Yeah. Right? We're left
1: we're left guessing kind of, huh? Because uh, you know, this is also parallax type like one copy parallax type, one copy tutor uh Lance Dill, a ala Tomatelski and Michael Flores. Um, and yeah, I mean altogether this looks like a super tight list and it was felled by Blasterm.
0: Wait, oh, um, I didn't even realize they they're basically playing our list, right? They have a third decree in the main deck instead of i don't know some nonsense we played played probably this is very similar to tom's list extreme
1: yeah extremely similar it's got it's got the tutor it's got a humility it's got a tide it runs seals it's got the one powder keg you know it's really just using flex slots for flex slots um i mean and, and i i didn't want to skim over this on the rock list i think one of the one of the things i had was like i mean how many mana sources do you think should be in the rock oh my god i didn't realize there's 22 lands in this deck yeah there's 22 lands barf there's 4 wall of roots so there's 26 mana sources right yeah
0: but you just I mean like Pog will just send a sword supply shares at a wall of blossoms forget about a wall of roots (laughs) right I mean he just sent he sent he sent sword supply shares at my wall of roots so fast last night and he's just like I'd do it again well, just just wants to get in. Not sure. I mean, yeah, I
1: mean, I guess that's, that's, he's using his he's philosophy of, philosophy of, he's philosophy America. of Daniels. Yeah. Yeah. Philosophy of Daniels. Yeah. Shout out Dave Daniels. Never shy about attacking with the Mishra's Factory in the early or the mid game. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, look, here's my point about, uh, Wall of Roots. Like, uh, this, this comes from Sam Black's, uh, analysis of mana of rocks in, in Commander. And, um, the the way the sam goes into it is pretty straightforward it's just like look if you go turn one land turn two land mana rock and then you miss your third land drop your mana rock would have just been a land right and uh, I I basically borrowed that analysis and applied to the rock which is basically saying it's like look 22 lands like sometimes you're just going to get stuck on two lands so yeah sure you got two lands in a wallet roots but it's no longer ramp and then sometimes you get flooded because you have 26 mana sources uh, and then of course sometimes you deed away your own stuff but yeah what- but gen-
0: gener- but this structure creates such a wider range. And so the wider your range the more the more capable you are of getting lucky, right? Yep. So you I think your average game you get on, un- you know, what we would consider unlucky at a higher rate than somebody who has a tight list, but you can just get way more lucky. Like you can get perfect draws and perfect top decks in a way different Le- like, de- way different height of your ceiling because there's so much more variance. Yeah, You're, you yeah. just you Your 22 land deck can draw as much land as a 26 land deck when it has to, and now you have Wall of Roots to accelerate, you know? And then yeah. in other games, you just stop drawing land because you don't want to draw any more land, and you just sort of have a perfect number of threats in the mid-game, right? So there's just... That variability is... I mean... I hate to put it this way like the worse your deck is the more variability <laughs> is going to benefit
1: you well well maybe i mean look this is this is like a viable strategy i mean we can't ignore that uh you know wall of roots enables you to to slightly increase the curve of your deck um, and not get punished for that as often right you'll still get punished if I you're mean, flooded on four drops and you don't draw your wall of roots um but so, if you do draw your wall of roots, uh like you know, like you're saying, you, you won you won the you won the roll on that.
0: Yeah, but so let's say you're just like second turn wall of roots, third turn blasted erm, right, in for five, deranged hermit go, right? Like that's like the lottery winner of of Wall of Roots, you know, into into threats strategy, right? I mean you just have more stuff in play to get wrathed on turn four, your opponent's turn four, right? Like Yeah. i mean i I don't know do you even deploy this way i I don't know like because you know you you must know that you're also going to be more likely to get wrath, right i I mean this is uh this is like a
1: concept that i'm pretty interested in which is just like what if you just attack like what if like your disruption package because like what you know what is this pilot trading they're basically saying okay i i I have 25 lands in lany rock right we always play 25 and we have, we play some cycling lands to kind of smooth things out, and then we've got like crows and Tusker, or whatever. We, we're playing this sort of middle middle range or mid range deck. Um, you know, maybe this pilot is saying like, uh, you know, one maybe they just pulled out their rock deck from their deck box that's been on their shelf for you know, I mean, the this last is years. or you know, I was
0: yelling at Hurst because he's just like, what if we played this and this? I'm like, that's literally like pre-modern 2000 <laughs> you're right exactly right like, like uh, you didn't come you didn't come up with something new really. <laughs> right like uh, we we tested this and ignored it because it's not good
1: right um but yeah i mean i think i think one of the i think one of the problems with lanny rock is that lanny rock has a little bit of an identity crisis where it it is not good at shifting gears it's not good at, at controlling like the call the herd is like a fine solution but when you cut blastoderm I, from your deck you know, you're, I was you're cutting the Herd's reach.
0: Really, I was really happy with with Call of the Herd. So let's compare Call of the Herd with blastoderm for a second. Um, first of all, Call of the Herd seemed very good to me against Landstill. Pog often had to use a card on it, right? Or it would, like, trade with a factory, or it would, like, disincentivize a factory from attacking, something like that. But if you're going to head-to-head it, right, like... Let's say you, I go third turn, call the herd. You go fourth turn, blaster. I go flashback, call the herd. Right? Like, do you attack with your blaster? Now, so, and I so I double block you. Right? And then um, if you have a point removal, you basically traded point removal for half uh, of my card. No, you get the or full three card because I'm, I'm right. But you traded for three mana and ten damage. Right? Like, you also lost ten damage in the exchange. Right? because you you didn't get in with the you didn't get in with the blastoderm and now your blastoderms just gonna fade right it's yeah. just not even good and if you don't if you don't have the point removal you should attack yeah you know? I mean, like I, yeah I mean
1: that's true but blastoderms kind of sick against you know against parfait and against you know to some extent like if you're playing you know maybe you're playing post against is just to have engineered plague and then you're not worried about decree. And then your blasterderm really is a three for one, you know. There's is that a, good? Do you think? I I think it sounds plausible. I mean, you got yeah. deed right. Like in game Bluff. one, you got deed. Your deed's not doing anything, right? So if your deed no, clears I, the way for your blasterderm, do you feel fifteen damage? it's so kind of. Your, I mean, your removals I, not doing. Your removals not putting in work for you. I was so you might super as well hit happy with
0: deed in versus versus Pog every time I played it i play it and he doesn't counter it because it's not good and i agree because it's not good but in the mid game he either can't attack for me mi- for a turn with mish's factory or, or he fairy can't Hanley. play still yeah stand yeah still. or like i blow up a standstill you know or like literally he's just like in this impasse he's like all right send this mission Factory. i'm just block with all my tokens right and then it's like all right this is a okay t- like not a good trade it's just like fine but I have a standstill in play and two more Mission Factors and might like, actually blow up your standstill and tap cast, cast three cards, right? It's it's not good, but like in the right situation, having that in play allows you to, A, either either he has to blow Seal of Cleansing on it, right? Or um, it just prevents one of his two major routes to card advantage. Like, one of the good ways that you can lose with the rocks of Lancel is just letting them land Factor Fiction and, and standstill effectively. So, yeah. I mean,
1: I think, and, and there's one more thing that we're not uh, giving some minor amount of credit for, is that you can play your 22 land deck, but you can feel those uh, land drops through the mid game with uh, a card we both
0: dislike strongly: Yavamaya Elder. I mean, I played Yavimaya Elder in the original version of the Rock that I qualified with it was Gas. I didn't even have Cabal Therapy; hadn't even been printed yet. <laughs> but we kind of—I mean, I don't know. I guess maybe I'm the only one who dislikes this card
1: because you know, with Rager you get them both, and Yavimaya Elder you have to choose. And I don't know, don't no, really know what you're going to do with know, the basic man. lands past uh, you know, past five and
0: you know, five and six. The other land H and Brian Kowal have opinions about Yavimaya Elder versus Phyrexian Rager. Um, and I think that, I think that there are arguments for both, right? So, uh, the thing that I dislike about, yeah, my elder, which I think a lot of people are not going to identify, is that it costs double green, right? Like, you have so many swamps, just straight, although Aro Hutunen played seven forests, which is way more forests than Rock plays, because I guess you have to get those birds of paradise out. He doesn't have birds of paradise. No birds, You get those walls walls out early, right? Um uh so like just double green is it's not nothing right it's like you just can't just pretend that it's not a factor right of course, uh, and, 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 and the, the single toughness makes it so much worse against red decks which are already challenging matchups
1: yeah no good points all around uh i mean they they at least hedge by only having two copies and of course the the wall of roots uh helps them you know Turn that one forest into two green sources. I mean, overall, what I'm seeing is 15 green sources. Main, like that's not always going to cast Eldar on three, but you know, Eldar on five is a play that some players, oh come on, really into.
0: (laughs) Five cast and cost two one. I mean, draw two freaking basics. I mean, that's atrocious. Yeah, no, I mean, it's slower than a concentrate, but uh, it's what it is. It's the immortal words of Chris Lockman to me at. Northeast Regional Championship, like 2008. How bad did you think your opponent's keep was <laughs> that you possibly thought that was a relevant line?
1: Yeah, no, I mean that's that, that's it, the, that's like, the question about your the, opponent like,
0: cannot be playing a real pre-modern
1: deck if that is your line. I I mean that, but this is like that's the beauty of pre-modern, right? You just like that's the beauty of the rocks. It's like <laughs> that's the beauty
0: of pre-modern. Sometimes they <laughs> don't have
1: a real deck. No, I mean, like, I mean, this is just like, this is just like the, this is the je ne sais quoi of premodern, right? Because I think what we know about contemporary magic is that you're very, you're so often not playing uh, what is what I like to call like a scuffed game, right? A game where like, you know, you just don't have it all and you got to like figure out how to put together because well, the cantrips, like the cantrips are so bad. I right? like opt is opt is like so bad. Like even your blue white, you know, even the most cons- consistent deck in the format, you know, mono blue dreadnought, like y- the, sometimes you- your dreadnoughts not in the top 20 and then, and then you just got to figure out something else to do. Um, and so, so you know, rebel- similarly
0: rebel went down to whatever what was the magic fest last week. Yeah. Whatever it was. Uh SCG, and probably SG Baltimore. Whatever yeah. it was. And then instead of playing whatever stupid contemporary formats there is, Rebel just played pre modern for two days and picked up pre modern games, came back to New York and was just like, yo, can we today, this is today, Saturday, that we're recording this, Rebel was like, Yo, can I trick you and Lanny into playing with me tonight? And I was like, I literally invited Rebel to come to Bifrost last night and um, Right. no um, show. Yeah, well, I mean, anyways. uh, No, no, my point is Rebel just had a ton of losses where Dreadnought was not in the top 30 cards, you know, despite infinite card drawing. Right, right.
1: And I mean that's I mean that's that's how pre modern kinda works and that's kind of the gamble that you take with dreadnought. Most of the time you're gonna portent and impulse and, and kinda find it. But the you only you know, the best that you can do is run four portent four impulse and then sleight of hands and ops. I mean I've been outward about how much I dislike those cards. Um,
0: but Which ultimately was, so you like <clears throat> portent and impulse and dislike sleight of hand and opt. Is that what yeah. you're saying? Yeah, yeah. Monoblue plays all sixteen, right? Uh,
1: Mono Blue like plays that. as many as it can. It probably plays closer to fourteen. Like it, it does, make room for. Like if they, I think if you played all sixteen, you like wouldn't have like any boomerang, any like merchants, any scroll, reality ripple. Whatever, yeah, reality. Like you're your fine flex with slot. that.
0: I am a million percent <laughs> fine with no reality ripple, no boomerang. Yeah, if that's, if that's the gamble.
1: I would play. I would. I would also play fetch lands and whatnot. Um, but that's I, neither I, here nor there. I, my, uh, my broad point, right? But you like four tent more than I do. That's correct. I mean, obviously, I love Portent. I mean, Portent, to me, is just... I mean, Portent, I think, unequivocally, is the strongest cantrip
0: in so pre-modern. But pause for a sec. I wrote an article about how Portent sucked and everyone should play Sleight of Hand, right? Yeah. I will just go on the record and say, you would. You would actually... You rolled the tape, right? And you were like, I'm going to write down every single time this Portent gets cast and just decide whether which one is better. It turns out Portent was better than
1: Slide Sleight of Hand, of hand.
0: In, in the tape you rolled the majority of the time. I would say you ended up being right, and that Portent's actually even better, probably, than you thought it was, and quite plausibly playable, but for reasons that neither of us in- really encompassed until, like, a Tau House meetup, like five months later right we're talking
1: here uh we're referencing of course mike flores's most recent article on cool stuff inc that you can go read uh talking about the unlock uh talking yeah. about the moment that i effectively was playing uh, dreadnought against stasis We're sitting there we both have seven cards in hand neither of us is about to make a move and i I drew my card for the turn i had eight cards etai explained this on episode one of spike colony you know i have i have eight cards in hand i'll cast portent start the next turn with eight cards draw step nine cards gush 11 cards and all of a sudden now you're working with yeah and all of a sudden (laughs) i'm working with a lot more uh resources than my stasis opponent and then to top it all off what if you have brain freeze
0: that's going to be a sweet turn but That's, um, that's a feature not a bug right and but we didn't know it was a feature yet right Uh, right but my my objection to portent at the time was i had only played mono blue dreadnought at the time and i was just playing with training wheels right like i just turned two killed my opponents over and over and over again Uh, yeah so it was you know yeah so the the slower cantrip was always going to be less attractive to me
1: Right, and I think it's still, it still—it still kind of is at your core because I watch you play these d- games with Blue Red Dreadnought, which you've picked up recently, and just like the amount of times you have Lotus Petal in your opening hand, is—it's not—it's—it's it's unnatural. Like
0: whatever. Oh, you what, don't whatever, like you, you don't like how many times I just first turn combo my opponent with Days Back Up. Whatever that's... Bar- bargain you made, like whatever God <laughs> what <do you laughs> once again,
1: whatever God <laughs> you you pray to, I'm in. That's that's
0: your church, yeah.
1: Cause, yeah, because I've seen I've seen an uncanny amount like if you watch Michael J. play Blue ray Dreadnought you, you might start to wonder why Lotus Petal ever got cut from Dreadnought decks in the <laughs> first place because you're just like wait how they're always this...
0: in my head like <laughs> yeah, how
1: is this okay they're like stuck they like, <laughs> he put he You're, wiped off a little bit of his sweat onto like a copy of Vision Charm, <laughs> a copy of Dreadnought, a copy of of Lotus Petal, and a copy of Days, and just they're they're just married to each other. Like whenever he riffles. because like it's just like you played like you probably played about like thirty games, and it happened like it happened like six times. It's an unreal amount of times.
0: Yeah. So on the play, not- so you won you won
1: a die roll too.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, I, I, I had two first turn kills in the first five games we played that set. Yeah, I mean, one of them was on the draw. Okay, fair enough. I but, mean, enough to know, make you a obl- believer. But, but Blue Red Dreadnought is actually the classic rock equivalent of Dreadnought, right? Like, it the range is so wide because you have Lotus Petal, which is bad, and you have like Basic Mountain and Barbarian Ring, which are bad. But sometimes the deck is, like, so much better than any other version. Yeah, I mean, I... It looks looks ridiculous. Nothing when it's good, it's better than any other deck.
1: I mean, nothing makes sense to me anymore. Like, you know, Wall Wall of Roots uh, winning a tournament, Blue Red Dreadnought uh, posting up, you know, an extremely impressive win rate uh, between two pilots. Like, this is, you know... I have I, to reevaluate I, everything because my because my church is like, look, you just you just build a strong deck, you try to cover up the leaks, uh, and so, this
0: these 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 decks are out there just saying like get get lucky like. So here's the thing, I think like if I had to rerun LobsterCon, I might seriously consider Blue Red Dreadnought, even though I'm I'm a dyed in the wool Fran fan, right? And the reason is it like bifrost meetup number one i beat both itai and pog playing like two of the most superior decks in my opinion right being metelsky landstill and fran blue white arjun right i beat both of them i beat pog pog must have thought he couldn't lose right he had literal three seal of cleansing in play and i just like played dreadnought and flinged him right you know getting around the seal of cleansing and then now he just has to manage his life total against however many fire ice lightning bolt and um and uh uh grim lava mancer I have and at some point he had to seal his own humility so that he <laughs> so that he could sort the plowshares shares to stay alive because met- uh, it was crazy
1: yeah I mean um, yeah, I I think. I think there's more to Blue Red than than obviously getting lucky. Uh and I think we'll we'll probably definitely want to explore that
0: in the, the mana uh, is a disaster. Yeah. That's I mean, the thing, right? Like it is the best daze deck in the format and the worst days deck in the format. Because it has ten effective islands. yes like or ten real No islands. freaking islands. Like it, it, when it's running, the dazes are unbeatable. And like I just had like I would win games where like I'm just keeping this hand that's just like du- gush days, shivan reef, you know mountain, you know like <laughs> like this is this hand is so close right, but it's already a multi five. What are you yeah. gonna do? I mean, know? I mean, I
1: guess you're, I guess you're gonna multi four.
0: <laughs> yeah, but like, but this it's so close, you know. Like, it's a it's a it's a challenging deck, I think. Like. There are other Dreadnought decks, I would say. So we, I think you and I, because we come from a Tom matelski centered universe, and then Fran is like the first and most important outgrowth of the Tom matelski centered universe, if you think about Dreadnought decks. I, th- I would say that's at least where I come from, and I, I think that's also where you come from, right? But you just, you just glommed onto, onto Fran way faster than I did. But there are other Dreadnought decks, right? Like, Flint won last year with a Dreadnought deck where the Dreadnought was the side plan, right? There are Dreadnought decks like, you know, Braids Reanimator that it just happens to have Dreadnoughts in it, and... Uh, or they're, like... I think that maybe the best deck for next year that I definitely want to work on is, like, a version of Eddie the Intern's Mono Blue um, Tide Parali- Stifle deck yeah. that yeah. kills with Dreadnought. I mean, it's like... This is crazy, right? Like, you just... What if you took out all of his, like, slow-ass Palin cards, right? And just, like, played Dreadnought combo. There's so much overlap already. You can actually get value from, like, Nevinrol's Disc Vision Charm, right? That's a thing you can do.
1: A little bit of context. In the June monthly, um, a a hybrid uh, Mono Blue Tide Standstill Dreadnought deck uh made the top cut and mike lost his mind at the concept now of course there's a lot that we would do different um but the the main shell of it was a mono blue tide control deck it has four stifles it has four chain of vapors it has two phyrexian dreadnought um it has a disc uh it has four spike you know your normal package uh it, it was just kind of the two decks smushed together it's got some mish's factory in it too it's got some standstill um you know, uh, Mike was really drawn to this. I, I kind of think that maybe it doesn't, because it gives up on the turbo angle, um, you know, it might might be less exciting. But uh, Eddie the Intern, Eddie Hawk, a friend of the podcast and local, likes to play a Sapphire Medallion Cutting Wish version of this Mona Blue Tide deck. And I think if you bring it all together, you tie the entire room together, um, with Cunning Wish and Sapphire Medallion to kind of keep most of your janky stifles in the board, that might be a good way to get the stew going. Because I think the biggest issue I have with Mona Blue Tide is that it has like four copies of Chain of Vapor, and Chain of Vapor is just kind of an awkward card that's not very good. And it's, it's also it's creating its twelve twelve decks. Well, it's really bad if you have your own twelve twelve in play. Um, oh yeah, so. well
0: can't have it all. <laughs> <laughs> so.
1: I think if you just grease the wheels, you figured out, you know, only you know only the blue good cards. Uh, you got Sapphire Medallion. I I love that card uh, for Mono Blue applications. Uh, you know, it gives you that mana rock. It gives you the un- it gives you the I, unlock I, again. I child. don't think
0: I I don't think I would play that, and I'll tell you why. That sounds so much like a Birds of Paradise pernicious deed pre Lanny Lanny rock situation to
1: me. I I know. I think it's is it Signet. I think that it's the signet. It's the turn three signet um, hold up counterspell, and then the next turn you can like play Factor Fiction for three mana, and you know things things are things are looking
0: pretty good. Like Factor I mean, Fiction, I rem- with I remember mana when, leak backup. I remember when John Finkel invented that at U.S. Nationals, nineteen ninety seven. Just like leave up mana leak on turn two, third turn signet uh whatever uh, Sapphire Medallion leave up mana leak then a Fidian with double counterspell backup. it's weird that i knew that play pattern yeah 18, and somehow so, you missed did, it but and I, then you. But i didn't it. know it in in 2006 or whatever <laughs> you're yeah. just like well i did a team event with brian kibler after his mm-hmm. finkel had made the u.s national team with his forbidian deck with sapphire medallion and kibler was like mike we have to play this on our team you know and i'm like why i mean a i was like I wasn't, like, objecting, right? Like, John Finkel's my friend. He had just come in third or whatever in the U.S. National Championship. Obviously, his deck's probably pretty good. Um, but he's just like... And he shows me this play pattern. He's like, I think we'll always win, right? So, and, and, you know, flash forward, we won the tournament, right? Uh, so, <laughs> but, you know, we played the team event in Nationals that year. Um, uh, but the, the Kibler was on that deck, um, so.
1: Yeah, I mean... I don't know. I, uh, I I think I think the the bottom line is I'm excited about brewing again. Uh, you know, I started I started the podcast. I was on tilt. I was losing. I wasn't loving the decks that I was playing. And you know, the, the fire's back, man. I'm just excited to uh, build this uh, our our new Mona Blue Tide knot deck. Uh, I'm excited to uh, continue work on uh, Blue Red Casino Dreadnought. I'm excited to. D- try out some casino rocks, see if there's anything I was missing about uh wall of roots i mean uh if if you're if you're big into laney lore, you actually know that I do have a deck in my file that has four wall of roots, four blastoderm, four ravenous bail four call the herd, and just says, you know, screw it, all creatures, let's just attack, let's just block let's just get in there. maybe I'll revisit that
0: whole concept uh um, don't we have a deck that's like soul lands oh oh, morph angel just like just little kid green white with soul lands
1: soul lands mox diamond just go mox diamond soul land turn one call the herd turn two Blastoderm, turn three uh beast attack i don't know anything's possible uh you know and then armageddon of course but uh you know i'm i'm excited i mean i'm feeling good about brewing um, I think we should sign off with, um, of course, uh, the big shout-out to... Wait, wait. Uh, Before
0: we sign off, I think it was the 1998 U.S. National Championships, 1997 Finkel played Finkel Post. So, Alright, good fact check. I think it was 1998.
1: Um, no, sorry. Um, uh, my shout-out is, of course, going to be like... Uh, uh, I mean, I got like 100 shout-outs. One, of course, the Midwestern Pre pre-modern ch- Championships at Misty Mountain Games in Madison, Wisconsin is happening on July 1st. I think everyone should go to it. Unfortunately, this is the official announcement that the hosts of the Spike Colony podcast won't be in, in attendance. Um, but we are sending friend of the podcast, Jeff Ferris, in our stead. And, of course, Francisco Polachek will be there. Flint Espel will be there. Uh, there is a Mox Diamond Grand Prize. Uh, that's super hype. Man, if I knew I could win a mo- an English Mox Diamond, which I'm on the hunt for, uh, maybe I would have reconsidered Who, my position on going.
0: Who's your pick to win?
1: Sam Black, R- reigning no champion. Doubt.
0: Reigning champion, Will Hurst.
1: <laughs> no, Sam Samuel H Black. I don't care if he plays either of his decks that I absolutely hate and don't even think are good. I just know that Sam Black will find a way. That's just what they do. Um, honestly, uh, just in awe. And and look, I'm 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 just a fan of streaks. I, I like to. I like to build up. I like to build up the storylines. I like to thicken the plot armor. So I feel like Sam Black should dominate for a couple. Uh, you know, so that somebody can uh, slay them
0: over there. You don't. What think about you? you well, first of all, I think you might be discounting the plot armor of Young Aaron Dix. Aaron Dix flew to Europe to play in the Euro Championships and and narrowly missed top eight, losing to Rifter. Right? The, which is just the nightmare matchup for him. And he mulliganed to five in the last game. Aaron Dix is due, brother. Oh, like, I, That I, guy I, is, the, is the road warrior of the entire Magic the Gathering pre modern community. And he, he slumped LobstraCon. I mean, he was tops in PSS. Obviously, Rich Shea is the only true tops, right? But he was high in PSS. You know, narrowly lost to. Um, Tom Matelski, our housemate in the monthly, just not that long ago. Aaron Dix is due. Yeah, um, no, no, I think Aaron uh, Dix is a great
1: choice. Um, I'm really excited to see what he brings. I know, I know he wants it because uh, we all know that he is more than capable of taking a trophy. Uh, he was, you know, a little bit of inside baseball. He was felled by uh, Sam Black uh, in their last meeting during the winter, the Winter Cup or Spring Cup, and. Uh, I, I messaged Aaron, uh, and I was just like, uh, he was just like, you know, what what do you think I should do? And I'm like, well, you got you got to come up with strategy to beat Sam Black. And Aaron was like, I'm not even scared of Sam Black, so. <laughs> I am I am excited uh, to watch that pairing happen. Of course, in the top eight, both absolute killers. Uh, Will Hurst, of course, a reigning champion. Never somebody to count out. Uh, I don't know how he does it. He can't keep getting away with this, but the man is capable of just an unreal amount of top finishes uh,
0: with... With some some crazy decks, but do you, you think know. he bought like extra plot armor from the dealer? How do you think that works for for young Will Hurst?
1: I I have no clue. It's the mismatch, new border basics. I guess
0: I, I I think I think
1: you know he's getting carried by like a true like, you know, Will is not a heavy heavy analyst, not like a old washed up pro. He's not a like super super like you know long history guy i think i think will is being is being carried just by pure love of the game like i think he just loves playing he's just got such a chill he's just got such a laid back attitude he sits down i've played against him you know he's having fun and I think if there's anybody who deserves to win, it's somebody who's out there to have fun. Like I, I even myself I haven't been having fun lately and and until I get back on the fun having train, I don't think I deserve to win any games of magic. And uh you know, maybe he's just he's just earning it by, by through sheer joy, which at the bottom line is why we're all here.
0: Uh so let's pick our top 8. I'm okay, let's 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 just top 4, top 4. <laughs> top I'm top four? the top Well, top 8 is just all the all the players we like, right? <laughs> All right, so I'm gonna pick. I'm gonna first pick Jeff Ferris. All
1: right, good, good pick. I'm picking Sam Black, highest salary in the fantasy league, but you know, they're gonna earn it. Are you gonna bounce,
0: or do I get the next pick?
1: Uh, yeah, and then I'll bounce. I'll pick Hursty. I'll pick the two locals,
0: and then you all can right, have I'm Aaron. I'm taking picks. Flint Espel, then. Oh, you're taking. Well, then I get Aaron. Yeah, oh, I was no, gonna take two. Well I'm picking no, four. No, oh no no! Yeah. Oh, we're each picking four. Right? Yeah, no, that's right. That's okay, right. so I want. I want Aaron and Flint.
1: Yeah, you got Aaron and Flint. All right. So you got Jeff Ferris and Aaron and Flint. I got Sam and Will. Uh, I am going to pick um, for my final two. Uh, I think I'm going to go with Artie. Um arty brought the growtog deck and that's like my pet deck that's our mutual pet deck and i really i really believe in the deck i think it's very challenging um i do think it's a little bit underpowered but uh you know what it lacks in power you can make up by being a killer on it i think arty's time has come and then of course uh rounding out my top four is going to be francisco polichek i
0: I wanted fran obviously okay (laughs) Uh, I'll, so I, I get one more pick, right? Yeah. So I'll take Caleb Durward as my last pick.
1: Oh, Caleb's such a sick choice. I I hope he's got something new. I know he's all about that red-green survival deck, and that deck's really cool. Um, but I would love to just see him uh, try out something uh, that's even cooler I, than
0: have I would have gladly taken Fran over Caleb. No offense to Caleb. But I had to first pick my man, Jeff Ferris. Um, yeah. So...
1: No, I'm excited. I mean, Jeff. Jeff is going to be the, I, I believe, the sole representative from the New York squad, and he does so much for us uh, by helping put together um, the yeah. the meetups. And uh, for the longest time, we were hosted at his office. Uh, we've now moved to Bifrost Games. So uh, we had a big testing ses- session with him yesterday. And Jeff, Jeff but put up good. But he also set the up gauntlet. the
0: Bifrost Games
1: relationship. Yeah. right. Yeah, exactly. He's he's the man in uh, who's texting to back and forth. the owners. Yeah, so. Uh, you know of course shout out to phil Wynn. he's effectively on paternity leave uh, from organizing but jeff has done a great job
0: on the ground in phil's stead um, uh, so i i got another mail mailbag um but i I've, i remember to do promo code flores this time
1: oh nice uh i look forward to seeing that picture on twitter um i guess this is a good time to plug i oh my god i, I have one more shout out Um, And this is the sentimental shout-out, which is just that, like, uh, I've been getting messages. I don't know if you've been getting messages, Mike. Maybe they just send it to me because they know that I am the CEO and executive producer of the Spike Colony podcast. I'm getting (laughs) so many, so many nice messages from people just saying how much they enjoy the podcast, how uh you know how they think that i'm doing a good job of keeping michael j on topic when it matters um how uh you know we just have such good chemistry how uh, we don't interrupt each other too much um all these things uh they just warm up my heart and we're getting on every platform discord twitter facebook uh you know soon maybe we'll hit up instagram uh but, but yeah just thank you so much uh fills my heart with joy that um this is a product that you are, are enjoying back home, uh, despite it often uh, going
0: way past an hour and a half. Um, where are we? Yeah. Where are we now? Where, we're, I we're hour to be like, forty. <laughs> yeah, I, wa- I wanted to hit forty-five minutes. It's so we're an hour past forty-five minutes at
1: this yeah. point. Yeah. <laughs> Never going to happen. Uh, listen, if you split it, if if you're a commute... Uh, my, my recommendations are as follows. Wa- uh, listen on 1.5x or, or 2x speed, or if you have a 45-minute commute, you just do half the pod on your way into work and the other half on the way out. Uh, maybe we'll have bite-sized ones in the future, but, uh, man, I just love talking but to my friend Michael not. Flores. Yeah, way too much. <laughs> um, so
0: maybe this uh, is just
1: going to be the trend.
0: I'm going to shout out to... Uh, David Tao KYT Roman Fusco and Pog if you know you know
1: yeah if you know you know uh, this has been Spike Colony Podcast episode 4 um, thank you so much for joining us on this journey and we can't wait to see you next week probably unless uh, Mike and I are super busy so thank you so much
0: we're gonna join you alright take care right, we'll bye bye
2: Hey Moser!